welcome to War Council. My name is Caleb Dillon. Hey, I'm Philip Corman. And War Council is a hobby-centered podcast for miniature enthusiasts. Uh, this is episode uh, 40. And I have to apologize because we're, we're doing episode 40, but we actually kind of skipped 39. <laughs> and yeah. so the reason for that is we originally were going to do a Thanksgiving special and then it kind of, it kind of, November kind of got away from us a little Somehow, bit. Somehow, yeah. Uh, I think that part Same of it by. is the holiday, and mm-hmm. part of it is just we were really polishing off major projects, like uh, the, Seraphon. the Seraphon project got polished <laughs> off, I finished off a couple big projects. So we were just really wrapped up between the holiday and all that sort of stuff, we lost track of things. Mm-hmm. And I've promised a business mentoring podcast, but because of the fact that the mentoring page isn't up yet, I wanted to hold off on that. So um, essentially... We have an episode 39. <laughs> it's forthcoming. Uh, we're going to skip right ahead to 40. And today on the show, we're going to be talking to um, Adam Abramowitz of Beyond the Brush and uh, Forge the Narrative. Uh, you'll know him yeah, from that show. Very exciting. Um, so primarily, um, Adam is a, is a commission painter. He's also a competition painter, and he's also a co-host on Forge the Narrative. So we're going to be talking to him about his hobby and uh, what he does, what, how he paints, uh, and then he's got some very exciting news about a product that he's developing that he's going to share with us late in the episode. Very exciting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but before we uh, move on to that, uh, we're going to talk about Kingdom Death. Ooh. So um, if you have been living under a rock, you probably don't know this, but for the rest of the world, um, obviously Kickstarter has been a useful tool for launching games in the past. And the original Kingdom Death came out, like, what, four years ago? 2012, I think. Yeah, All right, so four, four years, years ago. ago. And it came out with, with crazy success in its day. Mm-hmm. What did that campaign raise? I think it got to about $2 million. $2 million. So $2 million, and the basic set cost about $400, give or take. I want to say. It does now. It yeah. originally was 100 That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So they raised $2 million with a $100 game, and they raised it all through perks. They released it, and, and um, the Adam Foley, I want to say Adam Poots. Adam Poots. So um, Adam Poots announced that they didn't even have an original copy for themselves left when they announced the new Kickstarter. And the new Kickstarter went, it, it, it's really off the charts. It's incredible. Um, it now, hasn't not been just, a week yet. Yeah, it hasn't been a week. I was sitting there Thanksgiving night watching this thing go up by backers and dollars, just mm-hmm. exponentially. Uh, it raised over over four million in twenty four hours, mm-hmm. over six million currently. Yep. And we're December first right now, and there's thirty seven more days to go. Yeah. So it's very reasonable to assume this will break ten mil easily. I mean, he's releasing for updates, a board new game. expansions, like all these things are coming out on a daily basis almost. Yeah. So, I mean, he just released an expansion last night that's fifty bucks. Even if a thousand people mm-hmm. back that up, that's another. And these are not so. even like the backers who are currently backing it can add perks as they go. Oh, yeah. They can continue to back it at higher levels. Some of his specials have sold out, uh, yep. but there's plenty of other ones that are still available and new ones are being added, like you said. Uh, in fact, he hasn't even released all the perks yet. I mean, Not he's so close. off the chart, yeah. I don't think he could have even possibly predicted this. I don't... Th- <laughs> no, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's $6 million dollars is unprecedented. I mean, now, now, to be fair, it's not the highest that there's ever been in a Kickstarter, nor is it the highest there's ever been in a game-related Kickstarter. But that being said, unbelievable. For a board game, I think it might be the highest. Know, Video maybe. game, there's been some huge ones. Yeah, but yeah, for yeah. a board game, I think Kingdom Death may take it by a landslide. It's amazing. I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. It's incredible. Um, and, and certainly we want to wish you know Kingdom Death all the success. It's just mm-hmm. incredible. Um, we've done, we did a really big set of it early this year. 
Um, and we did. Um, you have a personal set you've been working on on and off. I think <laughs> slowly. Yeah, slowly. But yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, I think it's great. We're going to provide a link to the Kickstarter mm-hmm. so you can continue to support it. Now, one of the things that uh, obviously Kingdom Death has such a. Uh, let me ask you this real quick. What do you think is the reason for the success? Like, it's a good game. Don't get me wrong. And having worked with the miniatures, I, I would say that like they're okay. I mean, but I, 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 so that's my thing is that like, I think the miniatures are okay as a modular kit. They're interesting, but what is it that makes the, this game so much more popular than say any other game like it? Um, I mean, I would say the level of commitment Adam has put into the game and mm-hmm. creating it is way above most any other company. I mean, he's, he's reworked so many of the game mechanics to perfection. Sure. Um, and he's continued to go back. I mean, he's even scratched entire expansion. Um, recently he canceled one of the expansions that people had paid for spent all the money to try and invest in it ended up just refunding everyone's money like he wasn't happy with with the level um, of the mechanics of how it worked mechanics you mean like of the game the way the game it plays and everything Um, so I mean this is a guy who's you know committed to making a good product and he's delivered I mean all the people who have the game have raved about it and clearly people have picked up on that hype and I've realized how good the game is. That they're so you think part of it's the commitment game. of the artist? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if he hadn't delivered a good game at the end of three years, people would have been outraged. Sure. But people don't care that it took three now years you've, to Now, you've it. played the game. Mm-hmm. Would you vouch for that the game is a great game? It's hard for me to compare it because I haven't... I'm not a big board game player. Sure, sure. I love Kingdom Death. Yeah. However, I don't have a lot of experience in other games to say that What it's about, like, role-playing games or tabletop games? Yeah, I mean, tabletop games, I've played Warhammer 40K, obviously, sure, but... But that's a skirmish battle game. Yeah, it's very different. So I don't... I mean, the closest thing I've played to strategy games is, like, Settlers of Catan okay. before that. Which is so, definitely not this. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. So part of it is probably that, and I would also say maybe the aesthetic. Like, mm-hmm. it's a... It's a... It's hard to find something like it on the market. Like oh, it's it's yeah. it is. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are dark horror out there. There are some companies out there that are putting some really cool horror miniatures out there. But this is almost like I would almost call this not horror, but more like nightmare. It's like, it is. Yeah. It's like it's a different it's a mature breed. setting. It's, it's very, a mature yeah. setting. Yeah. I think the other part of it success is too that it was originally a very small niche. Like it was a boutique game. It was not meant to be a huge thing. Um, and because of that exclusive exclusivity um, of, of getting it and, and all that, mm-hmm. I think that piqued even more interest. People wanted to get the game. People were paying astronomical prices on eBay to try and get it. Yeah, we had so. people offering us like $800 for a copy of the game. We were like, we don't actually have it. Yeah. We're offering service, yeah. but we actually don't have the game. You have to send us <laughs> your models to paint. And, yeah. you know, it's one of those weird service entries where it's like, I just, we can't even buy them. Yeah. Um, the few miniatures we have had have been from their store directly, which, frankly, they don't sell many. Like, they only sell about They come 10. out with a few every month. And yeah. It's only a couple hundred. But then those sell out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely kind of a, a fly-by-this-year-your-pants mm-hmm. thing. It's not like I can go to the store and pick up a miniature. It's like you have to order direct from them. They're their only distributors of their product, um, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like he's capitalized on, was it FOMO? Yeah. Uh, fear of missing out? Like, yeah. he... People don't want to miss out on these things that come sure. out, so they buy them immediately. They resell for huge prices. I mean, I think that's part of the, the glory of Kickstarter is that these are limited releases. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, like, there are games that came on a Kickstarter years ago that are no longer available, so if you wanted it, you had to get it then. Right. And some of these some of these move on to, to success. Some of them actually manage to launch a product line, but some don't. 
some like fizzle out and die. Um, yeah. uh, and some are just like, like you said, they're cult hits. They're just like, look, this is a, the collectors are dying to get their hands on this game. Exactly. Even if they don't love the game only because they're a collector. And like, this is a highly desirable product. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, fascinating, really cool stuff. Um, it, one of the other things before we completely move on is that some of these deliverables won't even be out till 2020. Yeah. Like, some of the deliverables were years, years later. I'm curious if you put that out there because the last Kickstarter took so long to fulfill everything. Three years, expecting, right? Yeah, it took yeah. three years. So I wonder if he's expecting that or if he just put that out there as, hey, this could take that long and mm-hmm. don't expect it. Yeah, I mean, it's reasonable to say he could maybe get it done sooner. I mean, yeah. with $6 million at his disposal. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, to be fair, all not everything is taking three years. So he's sure. priced out, like, the reprint of the game will be delivered next summer, okay. which makes sense. It's just yeah. reprinting it. Um, it's just like new expansions, new things. This sure. should take a couple of years. So. Do you think that hopefully with this Kickstarter uh, that it will launch a full, uh, like a store where you can buy the game forever? Or do you think this it will be the It has a retailer model? version. So you can, there's a retailer pledge for six copies of the game. Right, but clearly they sold out last time. So, I mean, who's to well, say? He didn't have a retailer version last time. This is the first time he's introduced that. That's true. But I guess more of what I'm saying is that, like, let's say I'm a retailer and I buy copies of the game and those they sell out. Yeah. Can I then go back and buy more? I'm assuming he's going to print off more. I hope so. Um, I mean, I hope that he uses this to launch a Kingdom Death business, <laughs> not a, a Kickstarter, Kickstarter, back-to-back. Yeah. You know. I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. He may just stick to reprints every Maybe. I mean, maybe two. maybe you're right. Maybe the FOMO method is better. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that's just, maybe that, I mean, clearly it works for him. I can't give him any tips. He just made $6 million. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, well done. All right, so we certainly wish them all the success in the world. Uh, moving right along, uh, speaking of games that have just recently come out, uh, Blood Bowl is back, and uh, back with vengeance, I'll say. Yep. People are excited. Did you, did you ever play? I didn't play, but I love the models, and I'm excited to see what new stuff comes out with it. Denny just picked up a set, and he's going to do up a sample set for the studio that we'll, we will use to sort of showcase what we can do. Uh, but my brother, uh, Jeremy, he's always – Jeremiah. He's always been – I can't call him that. It's so weird to say. So anyway, Jeremy's always been wicked into Blood Bowl, and um, he essentially was a he was a 40k player. I got him into 40k, and then he learned Blood Bowl, and 40k became a thing of the past. Like he just essentially dropped everything 40k for Blood Bowl. So he is absolutely what I would call a diehard fan. Like he loves it, cannot get enough of it. Loves it so much, in fact, that they launched he and some friends of his launched a podcast called Skulls and Ones. And I rarely get the chance to recommend a podcast because, frankly, I'm really picky on my podcast. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give a podcast a listen. If you don't hook me in an episode or two, I'm out. Like, you either have it or you don't, in my opinion. Uh, I've got two – my wife calls it something, but essentially it's like a borrowed time thing. It's like I'm 36 now and my life is <laughs> at least a third over. And if I have a heart attack, probably half. So I'm living on borrowed time. I can't sit here and like that's listen terrible. to all your crap. Well, that's not true. Uh, oh, let me look at me. I'm not. A, I'm not a thin guy. I'm not. Nah, I'm, nah, not. Nah, like, I'm, I'm hardly time. George R. R. Martin, but like, you oh know. lord. Uh, anyway, but the point You're being is, here. I'm really yeah. I'm just offending everybody. Today. <laughs> uh, I'm really picky on my podcasts, and because I don't like Blood Bowl, I definitely didn't think I would like the show, but I did. I mm-hmm. thought it was really great, and maybe there's some nepotism in it. Yeah. But what's great about their podcast is most recently they interviewed the creators of the game like the guys who revamped it for the new edition and surprisingly little revamping was involved they made changes and all the changes were as far as i can tell for the better Mm -hmm. Uh, so i'm going to provide a link to that episode specifically check them out subscribe and if you're looking to get into blood bowl i absolutely cannot recommend this show enough skulls and ones 
Um, Brother they, Jeremiah. Brother Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah, so he started nice. going by Jeremiah when he was like 20-something. Uh, but to be fair, I started going by Caleb when I was 20-something. Uh, so maybe it, this is to him what that is to me. You know what I mean? I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> funny, though. Anyway. It, sounds, it sounds like a little, I don't know. Speaking of subscriptions uh, and subscribing to things, um, obviously we are a free podcast to listen to, but we do offer uh, a sponsorship opportunity for services that want to sponsor us. And um, we based, just to be honest with you, I based my sponsorship rates off of what I had seen on another popular 40K related podcast a few years ago. They had similar sponsorship rates and I was like, all right, well, I'll just use this. And um, I've been reaching out to more people about sponsorship, and one of the responses that came back was the rate's too high. Uh, and so I wanted to sort of tackle that in the intro of the show today. So first off, let's just let's just knock the you know hit the nail on the head here. We asked for sixty bucks a quarter, two hundred forty dollars a year. For that sixty dollars a quarter, which is twenty bucks a month, less than a tank of gas a month, uh, we at, we give you a thirty second spot and your choice of segments to sponsor. So you could get, let's say, you could sponsor um, Service Spotlight. It could be Service Spotlight sponsored by XYZ, whoever. And you will get a 30-second commercial, and we will talk about your service uh, a lot. We'll talk about them as much as we can work in naturally without seeming weird, like <laughs> without just like talking about brand X stuff. So um, one, of the, one of the questions that's come up is, is that price too high? And I've, I'll point out that I have offered free quarter. The first quarter is free. Say, if you want to sponsor for three months, I'll sponsor you for three months. See if it increases your business. If it doesn't, you don't have to continue to go. Yeah. But after three months, if you like it, I ask for you to start paying. Now, so far, no one has taken advantage of this. And it's kind of baffling to me because it's free. Right. But what's weirder is that someone uh, brought to my attention, they're like, well, I can advertise on DACA DACA for about 240 a year. This is actually the same price. And on DACA DACA, there's way more hits. I'm going to point out the obviousness that Advertising on different platforms gets you different results. If you advertise on Daka Daka, frankly, I never look at the ads on Daka Daka. I don't ever go to Daka Daka and go, that's a good ad, I'm going to click that. But even if I did, the ads are kind of intermittent, they're kind of all over the place. And So my point is this. Um, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can do it for free for a quarter, for three months. When I say a quarter, I don't mean 25 cents. I mean right. like for three months, for a quarter of the year. And on top of that, uh, we will listen to the shows in the past, Forge the Narrative, not Forge the Narrative, uh, Frontline Gaming was a sponsor of the Paint Desk segment for a long time. Uh, and listen to the value of that commercial. If you like the quality of the commercial, that's something we can replicate for your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that will hopefully get you more listenership. I mean, or at least more views. Like Anyway, I want to build business with good partners. I don't think we're asking too much. If you disagree, email me at warcouncil.whitemountgames.com. Let me think what you think at your cost, and we'll, we'll bat it around. Um, but we're interested in, in attracting sponsors, so if that's you, please contact me at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Uh, one last thing before we wrap up the introduction. We are currently offering 10% off labor in December, uh, and that's because um, generally this time of year things slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. People are going, um, they're traveling, they're, they're going on the holidays, they're buying gifts for their loved ones, uh, and so they don't have as much money. So we decided to let's knock our prices down a little bit. So 10% off labor... That's assembly and painting uh, for the month of December. And you can get that up until December 31st. So although our queue is filling for December and some of these projects will take us until January, you have to book to get the rate. Uh, And we are thinking about revamping our rates a little bit in 2017. So if you're thinking about booking, now's the time. Because next year the prices might be a little different. 
not to say they're going to go up, but just to say, like, we may have to reduce some of these things. And you never know. Pricing changes. Life gets more expensive the longer we go. Um, I mean, I know gas is down, but that's the only thing that's down. Everything (laughs) else is up. So uh, I don't know. You have to just, if you're interested in it, contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump to On the Painting Desk uh, right after this brief word. Hey guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to, like, at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people can be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial, like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information, and until you do, put your manies where your mouth is. Jumping on the painting desk, uh, tonight we're going to talk about what we're working on on our desk currently. Uh, I'm actually going to let Philip start this one off, because I think Philip yeah. and Val have more interesting things on their desks than I do right now. Yeah, uh, well, uh, for projects we just finished up, it's actually, uh, first off, we did mention it earlier, Seraphon are done. I don't think we've had a podcast since they've been completed. No, it's, um, it's kind of one of those things, they were such a big project, it was such mm-hmm. a, a, a jolt of relief when they were done, yeah. <laughs> that we actually haven't had a chance to, to cry huzzah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, it was a feat, but um, it's the display board was completed, the army um, is done and everything, so uh, it took about a month or so of solid work. Um, devoted to it to try and get it all done. And I think it looks great. I think it turned out really well. There's some pictures of it up on White Metal Games, so you can check it out. definitely. Um, So we finished that a few weeks ago. Um, More recently, last week, we finished a Frostgrave project, which uh, was was our first time really working with these models. So Frostgrave is a, essentially it's a uh, RPG board game style game. And uh, it's kind of like, they have an exclusive line of miniatures, but I don't think you're limited to those. I think you can bring in characters from any range. Okay. Um, but I will say I liked the Frostgrave miniatures. They're not bad, yeah. yeah. They're pewter. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them are solid cast. and um, So it's a little old school. So there's some debate about whether pewter is outdated. I don't think so. I actually like the quality of it. Yeah, yeah, well, it has its perks. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You painted them. What did you think? They're not bad. The bases I hated just because they're really yeah, small they're and they could easily topple over. What do they call that? Integrated bases or like congruent bases? Yeah, I forget I what they call know. those. Yeah. It's when they're on the base that they're cast on. Yeah. Um, which frankly isn't great because they tend to tip. They don't like. And pewter tends to chip. Yeah. So tips mean chips. Yeah. yeah. So that was that's my probably negative to it. Um, some of the mold lines went right over the faces, which yeah. is awful. Yeah. Um, so and unlike plastic, you can't really dissolve that with like a quick knife, like yeah, or plastic glue. It, it you takes actually them very to, precise, yeah. and even then, you're risk, you're probably going to ruin some areas. They're going to carve detail yeah. off, lose a nose, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like there was some nice details on it. The models look pretty good. There's yeah. some good. They're all medieval style, so you sure. have barbarians and knights and thieves and stuff. So sure. very good. Um, so we crank those out in about three days. Uh, pictures are already up on White Metal Games on that, too. So you can check that out. Um, currently, we're working on Lehman Russ. Um, and he's eh, maybe like 20% completed. Um, but we're getting back to him today, actually, when this is over. Um, and you know, what's interesting along. is that Den just released their own Lehman Russ. And I'm see, curious to see... I've seen that see... model before. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, 
I think no, I don't mean their own, like... I mean, I don't know if they made it from scratch. Oh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, don't but they did... Either. The verse, Their variation was... I mean, it's traditional Space Wolf colors for right. the most part. But it is very nice. It's they nice. did a good job. But I'm eager to see... Because this one's going to be a platinum level, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm eager to see, like, how this measures up. Yeah. Because like, they're, frankly, one of our competitors. Like, they're... Yeah. they're I like that studio. They did a good job. Yeah. Um, like, when I, when I talk about other studios, like, we are obviously in direct competition with them. But it's a good thing because mm-hmm. they drive us to do better product. And Certainly. and I'd like to think that sometimes we do the same for them, although yeah. I've never spoken to them at all. So I don't know. I have no relationship with them whatsoever. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, so that's on the painting desk. We also have some small commissions for um, Space Hulk. Um, Which just came nice. back out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just released again. So. so that'll be nice because then people can see a preview of the set, and then that way they'll be able to know, like, hey, this is, uh, this mm-hmm. is something we can, you know, pump out. Uh, definitely. Now, you guys are doing that as kind of a private commission, so what level would you equate that to in terms of, like, if viewers wanted uh-huh. to know about what they could... Not that you guys are necessarily using a level system for private commissions. But. Yeah. I, um, so our system is going to be slightly different, but we are... I guess the equivalents would be, like, a gold level okay. for, for every model. Propane. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, Very cool. At least for the Terminators. So. Awesome. But, yeah, so that's pretty much it for me on the painting desk. Well, the only thing on my desk right now is, I mean, I finished out a bunch of commissions when I came back from Thanksgiving. I finished out some custom kit-bashed models, a, a Vulture Zinch Prince, a, a Slunish uh, Demon Princess using an old um, Chimera figure from um, uh, Ragnarok range, and um, uh, I did a Slunish Snake Demon Prince. And, and kit-bashing is, is certainly one of my favorite things to do. Definitely. After, awesome. after all of those things kind of wrapped up, I had to jump on. We've got some tables coming this weekend. We've had a carpenter friend of ours who helped to re, re uh, sort of purpose the studio about six months ago. Uh, we hired him to build some tables, and it was on a, a quid pro quo basis where we would provide him with an army. So we're kind of working on what I'm calling the Stormcast Marauders, which are a kit bash between Stormcast Eternals and uh, Chaos Marauders. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of like a Praetorian, hoplite-looking army that uses bits from both ranges. Um, to, so I'll say make a very unique looking product. Sure. Like, yeah. I, I mean, it's good. essentially like, it's not a bad, it, it's a cool way to go. Yeah. Uh, the closest thing I can think of it is, is there was a, uh, a movie a few years ago that was like, uh, it was a, a, a King Arthur movie. And it had, it had one of my favorite actors in it. And it was kind of a darker take on King Arthur. It was like him and his Knights of the Round Table. And they were on conquest in Germania and they were trying to fight back this barbarian horde which now sounds like every King Arthur movie I've ever heard of. <laughs> but in this particular one, they teamed up with the Celts, and Merlin was like a Celtic wizard, and Keisha, Kira Knightley was in it, and she was like... I feel know. like I know which movie you're talking about. For some reason, I can't think of it right Anyway, now. what I loved about that movie was the colors, frankly. Like, they were wearing very, like, gold kind of tarnished armors with these red cloaks, and then the Celts were in these really bright, cold blues, and the contrast between the two factions that had to ally was awesome. I really liked it. And that's the only thing about this project that I really wanted to sort of bring back. I was like, I really I like those colors. I want to bring those in. And this is probably the only opportunity I'll ever have to do it. So I was like, I'm going to take advantage of that. Yeah. So built them the last two days, primed them today, paint starts tomorrow. Uh, and we'll just we'll have to see how it comes. It needs out, to be done so. by Saturday. Right? Saturday, <laughs> Saturday is the goal. Two days. Yeah, I don't think I can do an army in two days. I'm fast, but that's like the the fellow we interviewed on the last show who paints like so fast, mm-hmm. so fast. But an army in two days that's that's pretty crazy. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think, I, don't think I can do it. Even if I miss sleeping, I don't think I can do it. And what's worse is I have company coming tonight, yeah, so I have to spend the rest of the afternoon cleaning the house. Mm. 
Uh, anyway, so that's it for my painting desk right now. So on the next show, we'll see how that came out. <laughs> uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump in with Service Spotlight right after this. Need a model assembled or painted but no money to spare? White Metal Games is now offering trade-ins. Send us pictures of your old models, bits, boxes, even new kits. Make us an offer we can't refuse. Don't like negotiating and haggling? White Metal Games also offers consignment services. You can send us your old models, books, games to sell. We sell them through our eBay store and you pocket 55% of the sales price. You don't have to worry about eBay fees, PayPal fees, shipping fees. There's no crazy percentages, just easy money. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com today. Hey guys, we're going to jump into Service Spotlight, and tonight we're actually not talking about a service, we're actually going to talk about um, a giveaway that we're going to be running for next month, um, or I guess this month, technically, we're in December now. Mm-hmm. So Magnus the Red is coming out for the Thousand Suns, um, and this has been one of those characters that has been a long-time favorite mm-hmm. from uh, lore readers. I've built two over the years, and that's, you know, lots of studios have done their own take on Magnus. Yeah. But GW threw the gauntlet down and built their own Magnus, which is obviously their, certainly their yeah. right. Uh, and I think it's great. It's a it's a great model, in my opinion. Uh, what do you think of it? Um, so we've had some, me and Val have had some interesting discussions about the model. Sure. Um, it is interesting. It's, it's cool. Um, what he means is it's great. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he means. Go yeah. ahead. No, it's a very exciting model. It's definitely definitely good um, that they're finally like recreating it. Well, I guess originally it was an epic model, so it wasn't. Technical. It was. It was epic, and uh, it only it had the cyclopsy look. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say that I like the redesign in terms of like it feels like it pays homage to the original. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I think it definitely. I mean, it looks chaosy and things. So yeah. um, I'm excited to see uh, see it painted up. To what do you guys standards. not like about it out of curiosity? So because clearly you're you're politely was, avoiding. Yeah. <laughs> that brought up a great point, um, and he knows more about the lore than I do. Magnus was originally, he, first of all, the whole thing with the uh, mutations, like, they sure. battled that. Like, that was, their goal was to stop it in his tracks. Which is the and whole lore of Ahriman thing mm-hmm. and the whole dust. And it had a huge thing. cost. I mean, they got sealed in their armor and everything. Right. But Magnus hated the mutation. Like, he he wanted to get away from that as much as possible. And in another sense, he can also manipulate the way he looks. He okay. doesn't. And so I guess the, the so the argument is if he did, if he hates mutation and he can change it why does he look why like does that? he look like a demon yeah, yeah. and that, that's that a was, good question it's a valid point um, so what would you what do you think he should look like a Primarch Primarch he should look I mean beautiful like mm-hmm. I would think he would want to look as beautiful as possible like shine I would imagine isn't that kind of getting into slanish territory like Fulgrim territory though Uh I don't think so I mean because slanish is more perverse uh-huh. I don't think it's really a, it's you know demonettes are yeah they have breasts but sure. they have claws at the end of their hands that sure. are going to tear you apart so um, I think he would go more uh, just more elegant more I don't know I, I, I would but not change things not heavily mutated like that no. so do you think that because the lore was put forward one way back in the day they should you know because clearly he was an epic mm-hmm. model like there was that yeah. model so do you think that the new model should have been slave to the lore or pay tribute to the original I go more towards the lore because the lore has developed since then. Mm-hmm. Like they've really created a backstory that. Sure. Comp- I mean, people. A lot of people are attracted to the game because of the story. Sure. So staying true to that, I think, is more important than paying homage to an old metal model that mm-hmm. 
wasn't even really in 40k universe. It was part of an sure. epic, which they've already. Well, released. to be epic was the 40k universe. It yeah. just wasn't 40k. But it's it's essentially been discontinued at this time. Like, well, the people don't they don't make models. They for don't. It, but so. there's they. No, you're okay. You're right. You see what I'm saying. I but, do. But I would take the alternate view of this is that there's enough Primarchs. If you mm-hmm. want a Primarch, just turn your head and, and just like look. Like there's mm-hmm. a million of them now. Like yeah. with Forge the Forge the World, Forge Forge the World. Fuck. I'm thinking about Forge World. Forge World has released plenty of Primarchs, and they're all big and cool and fine, and Lehman Russ is no exception to that. But if, frankly, if I want like a 10-foot-tall human, I can find that. I don't, need to, I don't have to look very hard. Magnus is unique. Like, he's, he's a cool combination of like all these different... I, I, I love him. I think yeah. he's great. I mean, in my humble opinion, like he's exactly what I want from that original model brought back to 40K. One of the things I love about what they're doing now is that, like, I can look back, and Forge World's a really good example of this, is I can look back at an old model from the epic days or from those days, and I can I can see the direct correlation. I can see how they took that idea and they improved on it. They made mm-hmm. it better. And that's yeah. that's what I like about Magnus. But, yeah. uh, you know, whether you love him or hate him, it doesn't really matter. He's extremely high interest right now. Yeah, like, he's amazing. I mean, the rules yeah. for him are going to be incredible. Oh, my God, so, so strong. He's got, yeah. like, 15 psychic powers. Yeah. He's the Nagash of 40K. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's crazy. I'll be interested to see him in the meta. I really want to – I'm looking forward to some uh, yeah. some Thousand Suns uh, battle reports and things. Yeah, for sure. for sure. For uh, sure. So one of the things we're doing to sort of support that is that uh, we're going to do a painted giveaway of Magnus. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pick one up when it, when it releases in pre-order in a couple days, and Denny Franks – who is one of our artists in-house, is going to be painting it up for us. And we are going to give it away uh, on... Uh, we're not exactly for sure how we're going to give it away yet. But the plan is we're going to announce it on Spiky Bits. And what we'll probably do is give it away through our YouTube channel. So more likely than not, to enter the giveaway, you're going to have to subscribe to our YouTube channel and comment in the video. But we're not 100% yet. So on the Christmas special, we'll announce the rules. But for now, just know that we're planning to give a Magnus the Red painted away. Now, we are going to paint him the way the box is, is painted for the most part. We're probably not, obviously, we're not going to paint him to heavy metal detail, mm-hmm. but we're going to paint a, a good looking version of the model in the canon colors. So, if you're interested in that and you don't have money for one this holiday, stay tuned because you could win one after the next show. Uh, so, just keep abreast of that. Follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, and check us out on YouTube, White Metal Games, YouTube slash White Metal Games. Mm-hmm. I'll provide a link to the channel. Uh, and we've been putting out a lot of new content there recently, so check in. Like all the, dis- the both of the display boards are up now. A couple battle reports are up there now, uh, and we've got new videos releasing every week. We're releasing about three or four videos a week now. Wow. So uh, right. we're, we're definitely trying to push that market. So uh, anyway, uh, okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in with uh, tips on technique, we're going to be talking to Adam Abramowitz of uh, I just love saying that name yeah. of uh, 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 Forge the Forge the Narrative and Beyond the Brush, and we'll be right back after this. Are you a tabletop quality painter in the Raleigh area with 10 hours or more a week to spare? Have you ever thought about becoming a commissioned painter before, but you weren't sure it was right for you? White Metal Games is looking for talented painters in the Raleigh area to join our studio team. You're paid by the job, not by the hour, so you can paint at your own pace. Send us pictures of your painted models to info at whitemetalgames.com, and we just might be interested in speaking with you. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into tips on technique tonight. Tonight we have a special guest with us. Um, the uh, guest name is Adam Abramowitz from Beyond the Brush Studios and Forge the Narrative fame. You guys have probably heard him over on that podcast. So Adam, welcome to the show. 
You guys are probably tired of listening to me by now, but thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Today. Well, I think that we probably have different listener bases, so maybe some yeah, of our new true. listeners have different listener bases. But um, so um, Adam contacted us about all the things he's got going on, and we were super excited to have him on the show today. Um, so Adam, just to sort of get a, give a baseline, um, I know that you're a commission artist for hire, obviously from Beyond the Brush, and you're an active co-host on Forge Narrative. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Beyond the Brush and how how you got started as a commission artist, maybe your origins in the hobby. Uh, and kind of what Beyond the Brush is on a daily basis. Like, give us your sales pitch. Absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of white metal games and been following you guys and uh, will often Google WMG Land Raider or something like that if nice. I need inspiration for something that I'm working Our tags on. are so, effective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys are doing a great job. Right. Um, a little bit about me. I mean, like, it, as far as a hobby is concerned, uh, I first picked up a paintbrush probably when I was 14 years old, so about 16, nice. 18 years ago now. That's about the same. That's about the same time I did. Very good. Yeah, and I I took some time off. Uh, you know, high school sports kind of intermingled, and then college got away from me. And um, you know, it was about probably five years ago. Uh, I was drinking beer after a bike race uh, at a buddy's house, and he's talking about these models that he used to play around with. And I was like, Are you talking about? 40k are you talking about warhammer and he's are like, you talking about 40k you like know what you know what warhammer is and we had this total like like shirtless bro moment we're soaking wet <laughs> hugging each other That's and it was funny. just like let's play 40k it was very awkward but um this is the first time i wish we were a drunk history show instead of a <laughs> yeah, podcast exactly. where we could enact that but so we uh we went to the local games workshop store and picked up some models and i had some old models laying around and i got back into it and I think it was about six months later, there was uh, a decent tournament uh, run by Mike Twitchell, who actually is the recent winner of the, the Warzone Atlanta Grand Tournament. He was the overall, or the Battle Points winner, um, in Greenville, South Carolina. And I had about 10 days to finish an army. Wow. And I had okay. about 4,000 points of Tau, and oh, I just Lord. got to work. It's not even a small army. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not no, even it was, like, it was a big it's army. not a pleasant army. That's two armies, really. Yeah, it's actually, well, that army right now is being played by Frankie Giampapa at Frontline Gaming. Nice. So he, he has my old okay. Tau army. Um, and nice. I went on with that army to my first legit GT, which was the Forge Narrative Seasonal, where I met Paul and, and the gang there. And I, I won Best Painted, uh, much to my surprise. And then So you turned that 4,000-point army around in 10 days and then won Best Painted? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> That's a pretty good feather in your yeah. cap, I think. I'm most fa- I think I'm most famous for that army, but I think it's yeah. it's honest to God one of my worst painted armies. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Frankie that. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it looks well. really good. It, it looks really good, but technique wise, you know, I've come a long way in, in these past few years. So. Well, and not to like, I mean, I haven't. To be fair, I haven't actually actively looked at those pictures. I will after this show. But you know, <laughs> sometimes when people are like, "I won best painted," and then I look at the results, I'm like really like who was there that day because (laughs) you know i mean it is but i mean the thing is is that like sometimes like you best best painted results vary by by gt and by by store and by region frankly Um, absolutely like sometimes they're technique based sometimes they're it's all subjective um but but generally speaking a good painter is a good painter and he only gets better as he goes Mm -hmm. so if that was like where you started at and won best painted like the newer work is just you know it built on that foundation which is amazing the great thing is, I think, as and we're all painters here, and I think at, painters at our level. I mean, if we if we are, uh, you know, we're peers in, in painting, sure. we're always willing to challenge ourselves and try new things. And I think sure. that's that's maybe the one thing that keeps newer painters or novice painters 
uh, kind of behind the curve is that they're too nervous to try something different. They're too nervous to get an airbrush. They're too nervous to, you know, work with uh, a different type of paint or paint line. No, I would agree with that. They definitely have a safety net, and once you get comfortable in your safety net, it's very easy to continue to redo the same technique over and over and over, partially because it's fast and partially because you know it. Uh, some of it's too, these companies, like Games Workshop's a great example. They basically indoctrinate you into believing like, sure. this is the only way to right. paint. Like and here's your yeah. base, here's your yeah. mid-tone, here's your highlight, but you start to experiment and you're like, well, that's not the only way to do right. it. I mean, obviously. Um, and Games Workshop, to be, they don't even, I mean, they do have airbrush paints now, but a little late to the party. Oh, very uh, very <laughs> So, like, you know, we've been airbrushing for years before GW mm-hmm. got on that, you know, on that train. Um, and that, sorry, I go guess, ahead. Um, I, one of the things that I, I, I would say, I think that describes the way I paint, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for those that haven't seen my stuff, uh, people think, you know, you tell them to use an airbrush, they think that you're an airbrush painter and that it's going to look very airbrushed. But sure. I get told repeatedly, and, and a good friend of mine is uh, Eric, who runs Variance Hammer, which is a fantastic, you know, statistics-based uh, tabletop gaming statistics website. Oh, cool. Very smart guy. You know, he says, I, you convinced me to buy an airbrush because it, your stuff doesn't look airbrushed. Yeah, that's actually a, that's yeah. a, that's a great criticism because I think that when people first – you're right. Like, when people first get into airbrushing, the assumption is – It'll be an air, you know. It has those really thick, heavy highlights that are like mm-hmm. profoundly different than the darker. You know, the, it's not natural. Uh, Wait, you actually use a brush to paint, but you're an airbrush. Right. Artist. That's yeah. the, people think there was a big debate years ago about airbrushing being the easy button, and it's not. Like it, it is. It's easier to do some things, certainly to base and to blend. But once you get beyond a point, you actually have to go back to your brush. So it's like you use the airbrush to do some of the bulk lifting. But the details you can't do with an airbrush. I mean, you, you can't really. No. I can't sit there and dot eyes, pick out stubble on a chin, highlight you know rays of hair. I can't. Not with an airbrush. Right. So you have it's, to learn both techniques. It's a it's a tool. It's, exactly. Uh, it's like the, the rifleman's creed. This is my airbrush. <laughs> there are many airbrushes <laughs> like it. Well, you know, <laughs> every tool in the chest has a reason. The airbrush has yeah. a reason. Um, exactly. But but it certainly is not the the end all to everything. Um, you can't use it for every everything. Um, Okay, so you got back into airbrushing, or not into airbrushing, you got into the hobby that way. So how long have you been actively back in the hobby now? Uh, a little over three years, probably about four years. That's amazing. So in three yeah. or four years, you've amassed, I mean, I was on your, your, your uh, awards page, you've got like six or seven different awards, um, all of which happened uh, within the last two years. Um, yeah. It looks like you were really active in, in 2015. And then in 2016, it looks like you either took a break or you, maybe you were focusing on life or commission so what happened in 2016 so here's it's uh, it's funny so i i own a uh, i own a business uh, that's outside of the hobby world it's uh-huh. a different hobby i own a bicycle company okay. and uh you know being a business owner is is uh has its own challenges you know yeah, just like sure. commission painting does yeah um and in 2016 2015 actually i i had my wife my daughter oh, uh, so i have a little girl named zoe oh. um you know, I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home, work-at-home dad, so I run two businesses out of my house and, and raise a, you know, 26-inch tall monster. <laughs> um, and it's it's the greatest thing. So, yeah, things were a little bit slow. I wasn't traveling as much. Sure. Um, I still managed to bring home uh, a Best Painted and my first ever Best Overall in 2016. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, it's it's been – 2015 was definitely a power-packed year. 
Uh, I wasn't able to three-peat at Warzone uh, because War- Warzone Atlanta is kind of a, a transition from f- the Forge Narrative Seasonal. Actually, that first Forge Narrative Seasonal that I, I won was in uh, Durham, so not, not far away from you guys. Yeah, actually really close by. Atomic Empire, one of my yeah. favorite places to play games. They're a great store. I mean, they're, they're massive. They might as well be like an emporium. They're like they're yeah. so big. Yeah. Every, um, everybody there that worked there was fan- If you guys are in the Raleigh-Durham area, mm-hmm. stop by Atomic Empire for sure. Yeah, I would yeah, definitely we, endorse them. Yeah. Um, they're, We've they're been great. there a few times, and we went there to see... The uh, only reason I don't go more often is because Durham is, Durham is to Raleigh like... It is close, sort of. Ish. It's like an hour. It's like an hour. Yeah. Like it's like an hour yeah. away, which I just generally don't drive an hour to go to a game store. But they do have a bar in the store. Mm-hmm. That's, so that's the greatest thing. That's in my opinion, that is absolutely the draw of that yeah. store. It's it's really nice. Uh, if, okay. If you, if, if you lead an Adam to a bar, he will drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've got the two businesses you're managing. You're busily doing mm-hmm. that. You're also a stay-at-home dad working on that. So you took yep. a little bit of a break. Now, when you do the competition painting. Do you find because you you traveled all over? Did you find the level of the competition varied, region to region, state to state, or did you find like uh, it was consistent? Like, were you more challenged out here, less challenged out there? Or so I mean, most of my competition painting comes from tournament competitions, so it's it's army level, like armies on parade type competitions. Okay. And the majority of my travel has been around the southeast, so it's I, I see a lot of the same faces. Mm-hmm. Um. And I have to say, I mean, we're all people from the southeast. I have seen armies in Chicago, out west, sure. Um, you know, up in D.C. I really have to say the south southeast has a large population of very talented painters. Nice. And I, I think some of the best painters and players, you know, f- across many game systems come from the southeast. And I don't think we get a lot of recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my earliest interviews in the in the hobby world was all about, you know, hey, look at us. You know, everybody's talking about the people on the West Coast and the people on the East Coast. It was like Tupac and Biggie all over again, just over toy models. But, like, look at us little guys down here in the Southeast because, you know, we've got some really talented folks down here. I do agree but, uh, that it's it's very... Um, we were talking about this the other day, that the top-notch studios tend to stay top-notch. And they it tends to be like... Um, I'll use Blue Table as an example. Um, that they they are all there. They're a little bit of not to say anything negative about them. They're they're fine, but there's a lot of new paint studios out there, and they have a hard time getting wedging themselves into the market because the big studios do stay on top. Like you tend to know ten to fifteen studios off the top of your head, but I discover new studios every day. Like there's just a ton of people yeah. out there painting, and it is harder than ever, frankly, to make your work stand out because there's so much competition out there. Um, it- I mean, it doesn't take... A, most people have a Facebook page, and that's it. And so anyone with a Facebook account can, in theory, be a painter for hire, which is useful, which is good and bad for the marketplace, really. And yeah. everybody's done a commission before, whether right. they got paid for it or not. Everybody's yeah. painted something for right. a buddy. Exactly. But it's, there's a big difference between the kid that mows my lawn and the landscaper that comes in and designs exactly. the drive. So, like, I can hire the kid down the street. And this is one of those things that we... We encounter quite a bit with clients is they'll be like, well, this guy next door does them for $5 a mini. And I'm like, well, you should keep hiring him then. But what you're getting with us is not the $5 a mini job. There's a lot more to it than that. And and frankly, he's a college kid looking for money for movies on the weekend, not 
not someone trying not to, to pay live the bills and put yeah. diapers on your child's rear end. Right? So I always kind of look at it that way. Like I can hire the neighborhood kid to mow my grass, but it's not going to be a landscape. It's just not. You know, it's it's actually really funny. So it's I, I go back and forth about my rates, and mm-hmm. and I've been experimenting with my rates and comparing it to an hourly. If I were to get paid hourly, sure. And I, I have an art degree. You know, I, sure. I have a. I mean, it's a minor studies in art. I but. I've been studying art for 20 years of my life mm-hmm. and participating in the arts for 20 years of my life. And I had just, even just yesterday, and not to talk bad about any customer or anything like this, this is a societal commentary. Everybody wants a good deal on something. Yeah, um, for Not sure. necessarily, not, not everybody, and I, I don't want to say this is everybody, but there are customers out there. And I said, well, this is my rate for what you're asking. He says, well, I can only spend half of that. I said, well, I'm just going to break this down for you. I said, if I was, this is a three-day job, and I work 10 to 12 hours a day, and if I'm just going to charge you a meager, just say a $15 per hour rate mm-hmm. to do this job for three days, this is what it would cost, and that's twice as much as what I just quoted you. So if you really think about it, I'm giving you a deal here. You know, I'm just, you know, sure. It's 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 a very difficult thing, you know, to. No, I I 100% know what you're saying. Right. Like. Actually- curious real quick do you actually get a positive response from that like do people like oh okay that makes sense okay i'll accept your rate i guess you know put it another way when you explain it when you break it down because when we send estimates we send it based on labor like we'll do here's the labor here's the materials but we don't do an hourly rate we've talked about it we've gone back and forth on it but we decided against it some services don't some do um so what what do clients think of that so I don't actually charge an hourly rate. But you break it down um, that way. It, here's here's the, the, the great, I think, and this is the, you were talking about some of the big studios out there. Sure. And I was approached by several big studios to paint for them. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, like, I don't want to be a cog in, in, in the machine. I'm an artist, and I want to build a relationship with my customer and my client. You. As I'm, I'm painting for them, I'm, I'm becoming friends with these people. And, uh, you know, it, we're doing this together where I feel like if there's a middleman in between, if there's a wall in between me and the person I'm working with, I'm going to be less motivated to paint that army. And I've seen it because I've fixed a lot of armies that, that people have gotten from some of the bigger studios. Sure, Nothing sure. from you guys. Everything that you guys do is fantastic. No, but um, I, I know what you mean. We do have, yeah. now it, it's a little different here because like I we have a smaller studio. We're only about four or five artists. And right. generally speaking, I'm the one voice that talks to all the clients. But I directly give the feedback you know, they talk to the clients through me, basically. So they, they right. do get that interaction. But I, I 100% know what you mean. Like, the bigger the yeah. studio, the smaller the fish kind of thing. So I, I think I think when you guys were asking, how, how does that, um, you know, my, my strategy play off of customers? Yeah, for sure. I think, it, if anything, I think it helps them realize that this is an actual profession. Right. And maybe you need, like, maybe I need to take this guy seriously. Right. Uh, you know, I'm not just doing this for kicks. I'm doing this because this is... This it's, a, it's a tough... It's, I know exactly what you're saying. And it's a tough market because it's like, here, here are essentially a lot of our client base are kids. And they yeah. don't have a lot of money. And the guys who have been in the hobby forever, <laughs> you know, these guys who are in their 60s and 70s and who started when the price of a loaf of bread was 10 cents and shit like that, like they have a different sense of value than we do. So our target base has to be someone in the middle, someone in their 30s and 40s that makes a reasonable salary. Um, right. So that's a much more limited client pool than I would like to, to, to have. But you're right. You have, to, you have to educate your clients. You have to let them know this is a business, not a mom-and-pop garage operation. Like we, we have overhead. We have painters. We have artists. Mm-hmm. We have all that kind of crap. And I, I want to – I mean, where I'd like to go and see Beyond the Brush Studios go, I mean mm-hmm. – I, I love doing commission work, and I love doing 
I love I love being a part of people's passion sure. projects, and I'm always going to do that. But what I'd really like to do with Beyond the Brush Studios is help painters at home. You know, I want them to be able to achieve and not be afraid. And going back to what we said at the, the beginning of the show, it is, is challenging themselves to try something new mm-hmm. and kind of get out of their comfort zone. Because I think everybody, based on a few techniques, uh, you know, understanding a few small elements of color theory, has the potential to be a really, really good painter. Sure. And it's I, definitely a skill. Like, you learn it over time. Mm-hmm. There's Absolutely. definitely people that have more instinct for it, for sure, and aptitude is, is great. But like any professional athlete will tell you, the talent takes you so far, and then you have to train. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's. I mean, that's very smart. Yeah, very smart. Well, I mean, I would love to. I mean, I would love to talk about commissions all day, but there's so many things I want to talk about that I, <laughs> I really want to move on. Um, so as many. So why don't we talk about this? Since we're on technique, let's talk about technique for a little bit. So okay. you tend to. Um, so your studio is kind of a, a one. A one level, you described it earlier, is like best painted in a box. So you mm-hmm. you paint to the level you paint to, and that's what your client pool is, and, and that's great. Now you, we've talked a little bit on and off the show about this this uh, this technique called pre shading that white metal has recently began integrating in the last six months, and it seems like you've been using for longer. So um, I want to talk a little bit about what pre shading is, how it translates on miniatures, and maybe because people don't really understand it. It's a newer technique, I think maybe. Uh, it's. I think. I think it's new to miniature painting. Yeah. Um, or maybe I, it was I, lost. I'm not for sure. But. It, I mean, it was originally done by like oil painters. Okay. That's where yes. It first yeah. Off. So exactly. it did. It took a long time to translate to miniatures. Mm-hmm. I suppose. Like we've only. I mean, I don't know the whole market, so yeah. I can't say. But I can say that I hadn't heard it the term until years ago, and only so, recently did it get reintroduced to me. Peter's absolutely 100% right. I mean, it was. It was originally, you know, created by oil painters, and you see it translated into even other mediums like charcoals and pastels that have nothing to do with paint sure um and essentially it's it's creating a a guideline a, a literally guiding light on the miniature with lighter and darker shades before applying color so creating is, gradient transitions basically exactly is that peter would you say that's an accurate statement I'm sorry. <laughs> as much as i want you to keep calling him peter <laughs> Oh, is it not Peter? It's Philip. It's okay. It's good. Oh, Philip. It's good. Okay, okay, Peter. But I'm definitely going to call him Peter for the next week. Yeah, like, for sure. I'm like, sorry. Philip. No, 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 no. It's, it's fine. Good. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. What so was Peter, your Peter Philip, was that an accurate statement? Yeah, I mean that's essentially what we do too. I mean we're basically building up the contrast before applying any color. I'm going to make you a name tag that says Peter now. You're going to have to wear it that. all over the studio. I'm sorry. Now let's go back. I, Philip Philip Griffin. Yeah, there you go. I like it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Philip. Go ahead. Uh, yes, yes, yes. You were saying something very smart. No, no. I, I mean, exactly what uh, just continued. Basically, what Adam was saying is, yeah, it's just a way to establish contrast. You should call where him you Alan. Want the, you, you should get it wrong. You can't say. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. Um, and where you want the viewer's eye to lead. So, if you're thinking about our project, you want the face to be lit up. Then apply more white to that area or something. When you apply the color, it helps guide your eye to those areas that you want to be more pronounced. So we see this naturally in life. I mean, life generally, like people talk about zenithal highlights a lot. And that's, that's kind of the poor bastard version of this is essentially like light comes from above. Normally the sun is above you. So a zenithal highlight basically means that it's brighter up top and pre shading is the next natural, uh, is the big boy version of that. It's essentially things are brighter. 
then they get darker into the recesses and you like you said you we are tended to be drawn to lighter surfaces our eye has an easier time targeting those surfaces because it can relax more so we are telling viewers where to look mm-hmm. we're saying here is the important part of the model yeah. and it, when it comes to color as well it, it it creates a more natural blend and balance of the color and gradient to the color sure so if you if you think about it like this if you have an open window in your house and you take a a, a blue t-shirt for example yeah and if you put half of that t-shirt over the wall and the other half over the the light that's shining through the background you have two very different colors of blue going on right there there's actually been and a lot of um there's been debate on that on like on the news recently they keep showing pictures of like clothing in stores and depending on who looks at it they see different colors have you, have you oh, seen geez. that yeah it's crazy like you'll, they'll look at a pair of sandals the blue, and they'll the be, blue or brown dress thing right exactly and yeah. I, i'll look at it and be like it's clearly brown and then they show it in a different light and i'm like oh fuck it's blue yeah. um and that tells you like you said how much light plays into color light is everything yeah light is everything in 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 life and in magic and in art and i mean sure. it is everything um we wouldn't have video cameras and movie cameras and film cameras and television and Christmas. I'm looking at my Christmas tree if light wasn't a thing. So how do you build up your pre-shades? Like, let's say you're painting, like, we're painting a giant in-house right now from Ultraforge. And okay. um, Val, Val Malik, who's the artist who's working on it, is pre-shading it, which looks great. Because it's such a big landscape of model, it's perfect for it. So just, you know, as a, as a rule of thumb, if someone was like, well, you know, Mr. Rogers, how does pre-shading work? Like, how would you how would you kind of explain how you build up a model for pre-shade? Absolutely. I mean, and and you know, one of the, my favorite colors to pre-shade with is red. Okay. Um, and you know, we can get into pigments and talk about that. Yeah, let's get into we it. Can talk about well, it tonight, but there's there's sure. an actual functional reason as to why you do that with with colors with those pigments in it. Okay. Um, but when you're appreciating what you're doing and especially skin tone like you said is a very good one you're laying a dark base down that you want to use and that's going to that's going to be essentially your dark reference for that particular color so whether it's a, a beastie brown or a a charred brown or something like that or maybe it's even a maroon or a purple depending on how you're going with this that's going sure. to be your whatever base. color you want in the shadow or, or the exactly. recess or, yeah yeah and then directly over top of that what you're going to do is use close to if not your highest highlight color and say it's a dwarf flesh or maybe it's a pale flesh or something like that, uh, right on top of that, that dark brown. And what you're going to do after that is you're going to find your medium color, your, your, your mid-tone range, which is the color that you're actually trying to represent on this model. That's what you, what you want people to when they say, like, that's a brown model or that's a flesh model. Like, exactly. That's the color they see the first time they look at it. And what you want to do with this is exactly the way you put it. Is it's the model that you first see when you look at the, or the color that you first see when you look at the model. And what you're, what this motivates you to do first of all with an airbrush, which a lot of people tend to have an issue with, is is spraying and pushing too much paint through the brush. Um, airbrushes are great because they allow you to work up layers, and when you've got this sharp contrast directly in front of you it motivates you to use less paint and and work the paint in the way that you want to and be gentle with it and build up the color because what you're going to do is you're going to reinforce your dark reference point on the model which is that brown color with your medium tone and you're also going to make that medium tone more vibrant as you work it into your extreme highlight and then when you're done it gives you a gauge of reference on if you need to go back and post shade uh, you know, and add more of that that dark reference point back in, and some of the even darker recesses of the model, sure. or add an extreme highlight even further to or up to that that highlight point that you had in there before. 
So if you were to think of it uh, maybe like a scale, um, I would mm-hmm. say that the primary – we've talked about this. You know, Philip and I have debated this on and off, but not really debated but discussed. Like the primary problem I see in new painters is their models are flat. Um, mm-hmm. And when you look at the model, you have no problems looking at it and saying, I know exactly what you did here. You painted the model with this color. It's flat. It's all evenly applied. The higher-end models generally tend to have more contrast. They're, they're more interesting to look at. In the same way that if I drink a wine that is, let's say, better than a table wine, there's more to the wine. I can taste more. My taste buds are tintillated. When I look at a, a good model, those extreme contrasts between light and dark are interesting. They, they help motivate my brain. And with a, with a pre-shade, you're kind of like, uh, I guess, creating that gradient and then deciding, have I created enough contrast? Like, you're, you're getting mm-hmm. away from a flat model and you're pushing it towards, like, you're stretching a rubber band, so to speak. I, I, th- like, I think you're actually, you're forcing the contrast. Yeah, for sure. Because you, 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 at that point, you're, you're not allowed, you can't unsee the contrast once you've gone so extreme. Now, Philip, you do actually a lot more of this than I do. Would you, would you agree, disagree, anything you want to add to this? Um... I mean, you guys are appreciating a lot now. Yeah. Um, so when I so I guess there's a difference in maybe terminology too, because when I say pre-shade, I don't mm. even include pigment or anything. It's just mm. straight up white. Sure. Black. Um, now there's different temperatures of black and white that you can use. Um, you'll notice some blacks have more red in it, some have blue in it, mm. and you can establish a temperature value early on before you even apply pigment. Um, now I'm not sure. Is that what you're saying, Adam? Like, do you apply white and black first, and then go over it with? Like, the, do you work like, in like a grayscale and then lay on, let's say, a thin pigmented color? Like, if you were to work from, let's say, black to gray to white in gradients, and then lay down a thin red. Well, in theory, the red would be brighter on the whites and, and darker on the blacks. Um, now, alternately, some people just work with colored pigments and they just build through those. Like, they may start with a dark red, lay a midtone, and then highlight up. Um, so I, I guess let's let's drill down a little bit. What do you mean specifically, Adam? So I, I it depends on the project. So okay. the the, the grayscale, what Philip is talking about with the grayscale, I got the name right that time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, I, you I, did. Man, I, 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 <laughs> oh, no, I, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> but um, Peter's not mad. I, I will, I will like. With, I'm, I'm working on a Death Watch project right now, and I'm I'm absolutely certainly going to be working in a grayscale to work up to you know kind of those grayish dark black colors on top of it certainly on a black Um, model where it's so easy to like black is a black's a hard color because essentially you have to highlight black which if you do it too much it just comes out murky gray and shit so it's just not a good it's it's, you know when i'm working with cooler tones i will absolutely stick with uh, a white pre-shade sure um absolutely or even a very light gray when I, I tend to work with reds, oranges, yellows, greens, I stay away from using white as a pre-shade. Um, and in, in my is that because the white tends to um, wash out the color? It tends to overwhelm it, or so white is a is a uh, white. When you mix white and red, what do you get? You get pink. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you mix white and green, you get a very different type of green. You get a kind of a minty uh, sure. celeste color green. Uh, more blue shade green, but if you're going for more of a Kelly or uh, a yellow shade green, you want to base with kind of a tan or a yellow color. Yeah. Um, so it, it really all depends. So it's I mean, kind of I'm about always... building up the layers. You know, every color, the top color is actually a combination of the colors beneath it. Absolutely. Especially if it's a thin color on top. And if you're painting well, you should be painting in multiple thin layers, not one thick opaque layer. Absolutely. But what Philip is doing, I mean, and the only reason I skip a few steps there is because I, I, 
I have an understanding of what colors are going to work well and play nice together. Sure. But if you're unsure, and I'm not saying that Philip isn't, because um, he's he's obviously not. He's very very well trained. I mean, he's referencing oil paintings over here, and that's stuff I haven't. Philip is classically in trained. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so. that, that's, we've got Rembrandt over there. No, but, no, 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 nothing like that. <laughs> so. so he he. Um, when you work with with white to black, you can't fail. Sure. Um, and the the way I reference it, and you know, I do a lot of graphic design work too. Sure. And you never develop a logo with color at the start. Everything is in black and white. That makes before sense. Before you ever start imparting color, because it, when you work in black and white, it allows you to see the actual structure and contrast that you're working with from the start, and then you can go up and down from there. So, you know, for anybody that's never appreciated before, I don't advise you to jump straight to using dwarf flesh under red. You know, I, I definitely say start working with the white and play with it and, and then start imparting different colors and, and, and trying things out. Now, do you find that um, um, we talked about this a little bit, but obviously, like, between different paints, every different paints have different qualities in terms of, like, their transparency, their opacity, some paints have more binder, less binder, more pigment, less pigment, etc. Right. Do you find that this works better with like, um, you know, people people probably come up to you and they ask you stuff like, I mean, how did you paint that red or how did you paint that green or, or whatever? <laughs> it's, like, fu- it's funny you bring that out, okay. bring that up, but yeah, it's um, I get asked that all the time. Sure, uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, colors like red and yellow, orange, uh, tend to have a a lot more binder or medium mm-hmm. involved into the painting just because of the way that the pigments actually interact with the medium. Sure. Um, It's something that when you put blue paint next to red paint and purple paint next to red paint, they're not the same things, just different color added. Those pigments are actually very greatly. There's different ingredients that go into those pigments. My my father, you know, I come from a family that used to be steel, you know, workers in the steel mill, and then they all, when the steel mills got shut down, they all went to work in plastics. And my, my father now sells and makes raw material plastic so he understands binding and i've been around that for my entire life and he at one point in time sold raw color essentially so he would sell colors that went into paint that went into plastic and so like pure uh, pigment or something like that pure exactly pure pigment the company was called holland colors and um you know if if you guys go and buy a dasani a bottle of dasani water my dad actually created that color of blue opaque for them that's nice. that's what he did for a long time that's interesting so very early on my dad was able to tell me and explain to me how different pigments and i just kind of picked up being on car rides with him talking to customers how pigments don't behave the same way yeah. that's why a company making vinyl siding that's tan using the same you know the same type of compound but a different color the extrusion wasn't working the same way when they tried to do gray vinyl siding um, because we, everything has a different thermoset temperature, sure. has a different, you know, needs a different binder ratio, medium ratio. Um, but those those red pigments, those yellow pigments, they tend to, as we talked about before in the show, before we started the show, tend to operate more like a glaze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're you're not going to get, you know, pure red right out of the spray, you know, right out of the bottle or right out of the airbrush at first go. Right. Uh, and I mean, that's where essentially you have to build up those layers and you have to, you know, like every paint's different. And one of the things I've learned over time is that um, I like to try new paints because I don't, if I find a paint I don't like, I just have to turn my head and look for something different. Like I like to find paints that, that fit the way I paint as opposed to trying to make them work. Like, cause some paints are just bad paints. You just buy a paint. Right. Like sometimes the, the people that make the paints, they get it wrong. 
Like they put out a paint and they're like, this is the best yellow ever. And I'm like, this is not good. Like it, it's neither <laughs> opaque nor transparent. It doesn't bind well. Like this doesn't thin well. It's like the properties of your paint don't work. So and some, some, some paint properties work better for different people. That's like, a good point. You know, it, it, I know some people that trust a brand that I just can't use. I haven't been able to make it work. And, sure. But it works for them. And I also find that from the same company, they'll have different consistencies in the medium. Like if right. one company has an airbrush paint, they have a, then they have a base paint. Well, one may actually work differently than the other, not in even in just general terms. Like I may find that like this is a crappy airbrush paint. Like it's better for me to use their base paint and thin as opposed to use their airbrush paint for airbrushing. And, and sometimes that's just they're struggling with the medium, you know. Absolutely. I, I'm going to kick myself if I, Caleb, sorry for interrupting if no, I don't no. ask Philip this. Philip, even you, Caleb, I mean, do you ever experiment with counter shading? Oh, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, I haven't heard that term before. Um, So it's, if you're trying to establish a base of, uh, let's just say we're going to do a green. Sure. Or I'm sorry, let's let's pick red because we're on the topic of red. Okay. And we're going to establish a base color with, with, red that's what we want this model the armor on this model to look like or the flag of this model to look like okay i'm with you and before you instead of just putting red over black or red over brown or you know a a, a similar shade you use an opposite color from the color wheel Mm -hmm. so maybe it's a blue a purple or a green so use a contrasting color use a contrasting color underneath that red uh, before working up to your extreme highlights. So Kenny does that. I've learned I learned that from him years ago, and I, I was I was kind of on the fence as to whether or not that was a good idea. Um, but it sounds like in your experience, you like that technique. It depends. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It depends on what what you're painting. If I'm doing Space Marine power armor, no. If I'm working on something that's more organic, uh, you know, Tyranids, for example, sure, sure. or even like Chaos models, or. It, you could, I'm sure you could throw out a number of other model ranges to me, but like something demonic or even angelic or more fantastical. Now, one of the last times on the show, we talked about color theory and we talked about how contrasting colors like that work. That so, was one of my favorite shows. You oh, guys good. nailed it. Good. You good. hit it out of the park. Uh, but now we're going to add this to the mix, which I think is fascinating. So, like, let's let's say, for sake of argument, what's the contrast to, to red? Green? Let's use yeah. green. All right, great. Green's a good one. So yeah. if I start with a base green, let's say I prime black, base green, layer up to red. Okay. So what is the effect of that green undercoat going to be on that red paint? Is that going to be like, is my, if the red is thin, is my brain going to pick up the the transparency of the red, see the green, and how is that going to register to me? Like, is that what we're getting at? Or is it more like the shadows will be a different color temperature and that will... It's the shadows will be... That's exactly it. The shadows will be a different color temperature. Okay. Because you're using the the, the natural counter color to to the red. It's going to be... But it, it's it's not going to be like it's a black shadow. That's the thing. It's so, still going to no, no. Play there's in that color in the shadow, though. and and we've right. we've talked about that a lot. Like uh, some of my favorite artists talk a lot about working colors into your shadows. Like your shadows should not always be black, and in fact, right. they should only be black if you're really trying to like whip out an army. Like right. um, we've talked about like alternating between warm and dark. This just seems like another extension of that. Like, if my top color is light, my my or not light, warm, my shadow should be dark, and vice versa. And that contrast is interesting um, to look at. Not you know. So I mean, it also it, it really depends. There's a lot of things that go into it. So green is is a contrasting color to red. Yes. However, if you put green in the shadows of a red, it tends to make red look dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've 
some of this stuff is just stuff I learned from. But Donald there's other concurrent contrasting colors to red. There are. I mean, well, we're talking about green is the green right is the complete opposite. Yeah. Okay. So usually, like with um, I'll, what I've done in the past, like I've done Blood Angels before, and sure. the under color was um, a cool, like a purple. Okay. So yeah. it complements the red in a way that's not, you know, too drastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked pretty well. It's something I'm still experimenting with. But, like, a, going back just to the, if you do, like, do glazes of green over red or try and work green into mm-hmm. a shadow of red, it makes it look a little dingy. Sure. So it's just a matter of experimenting with it. You've yeah. got to play around with it. And ultimately, it's the temperatures that you're trying to establish. Like, if you want a warm top highlight, then you'll have a cool mid-tone followed by a warm shadow and that's generally how temperatures work okay and so it's working with within that parameter to try and establish those natural effects adam would you agree or disagree absolutely i mean you can bend that that rule however you want Mm -hmm. but what philip is saying is is uh 101 i mean yeah you're playing with temperatures cool dark cool um, or I'm sorry, cool, warm, cool, or vice versa, warm, right. cool, warm. But either way, and, the alternating, and then you think about models that like have t- ten or fifteen layers, right. and you think about where that can go, and it's just like mind-boggling. So to, like even consider that. I, I'm, I apologize for if I took us off topic a little no, bit. No, no, it's okay. The reason it, it dawned on me, I was, uh, you know, last night I was working on uh, just a personal model of mine mm-hmm. while we were recording the Forge Narrative podcast. And, sure. Uh, a buddy of mine, Chad Voice, is a painter, and he's a fa- fantastic commission painter. And he was asking about uh, if I, have I ever used a blue wash over skin? And I said, you know, I was debating time. that the other day. Actually, um, I, it's go it's ahead. the secret sauce: it, a blue or a purple wash over over skin, just in the eyes and around the mouth. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, I'll take that a step further. I'll often. Uh, if I know that I'm painting like a natural light flesh tone, a Caucasian flesh tone or a, a warm peachy flesh tone, I will do a, a shade from underneath with like a, a dark gray blue or even like a, a purple or something like that sure. uh, before working the flesh tones back down on top of it. it. It gives a very realistic shadow. That's actually really neat. What do you think about that, Philip? No, definitely. It's a technique I've seen even people like uh, Massive Voodoo's like Roman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's done some stuff where he'll paint blue as a base color yeah. to the face then he'll go over it with like a green establishing sure. some warm tones and things with a little bit of yellow and then he starts adding actual flesh skin tones. flesh tone colors um, to make it look more natural and assuming the top layers are transparent enough that will all translate yeah yeah very cool um, it's, that's it's again it's it's setting the base temperature which mm-hmm. i think philip talks about a lot on the show and, and here's the funny thing, like when we talk about this kind of like in, in-depth detailing and you talk about a service like Beyond the Brush where it's like one mini painted to like, you know, best painted in a box, which I love that phrase. I'm going to definitely <laughs> use that now. Um, what I like about that is when we talk about going back to like, um, you know, the you know the different studios out there and the we talked about this kind of off the show, like the, the, the yard boy analogy where you're competing against the yard boy down the street. These kind of things that your professional painters are thinking about aren't the things that the yard boy down the street is thinking about. Like when you hire a studio like Beyond the Brush or, or White Metal for like a high-end model, that's the kind of questions we're asking. Like what, yep. what, how should these transitions work? What should the shadows color like? And, and that's why you achieve a higher-end product, which hopefully translates to better customer satisfaction. 
And Absolutely. just to throw this out there, just, um, if you guys want to see kind of a more recent example, it's actually something we tried to uh, establish with the town R. Yeah. Um, so the general armor color was a cool green color. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a warm yellowish green highlight on the armor panels, but underneath we established a uh, a brown and orange sure. color scheme. Now it's playing into like rusted and ruthering look. Right. But those naturally complement each other in a way that they, I guess, to coin Adam's turn. Um, if you were to weather, it, let's say metal, it would actually, yeah, it would not work mm-hmm. towards it. But in this case, like the green and the red con- contrast and complement. So in that, yeah, in that manner, well, it was the temperatures vary differently, but yeah. the orange played well with the green color. And it, uh, I'm trying to remember the term you used, Adam, was like a con- counteracting, counteractive sh- counter shading or something. It's a uh, I like that. Yeah, counter shading. That's what it was. Yeah. It's a really cool idea, and I definitely want to dig more into it. Um, I think that what we're probably doing is running out of time for today. But before we completely sign off, um, Adam, I want to talk a little bit. So since we've dug into paints in such detail, uh, just out of curiosity, if you yeah. had the opportunity to like design your own your own line of paints, like how would you go about doing that? Well, it's it's actually really funny that you should bring that up. Um, you asked. You actually asked this question earlier in the show, and I'll try and keep this as brief as possible. Sure. You said, do people ask you about your recipes? You know, people yeah. ask you how you paint blue and how you paint red all of the time. And I know that they ask you, too. And People have gotten uh, you more know I love they to ask that. us more. They want to know, like, how did, can you write me a step-by-step? And we're like, well, not really. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I, I guess, like, I, I've always wanted to be able to help people. Sure do the same thing and if i if i paint let, i mean let's say somebody gives me three thousand points of dark angels to paint for them right and they want to try and replicate what i was able to do like who am i to stop them like this is these are this is my secret sauce essentially oh sure it's and a good thing to get into it's nice i to said share you know back. what why don't i why don't i essentially print my color recipes and and sell them to to customers so they can go buy for nine dollars the same three paints or four paints that i use to paint their ultramarine armor or you know paint their troll skin or whatever it might be sure and i I reached out to i'm a you know i think all of the major paint companies out there are fantastic you know obviously citadel makes fantastic paints they have a very concise uh product line and how to use them Uh, p3 makes an incredible product line they do a very similar concept but i'm a big vallejo guy and i always have been and i'll use a mix of their regular vallejo game and model colors and i I almost exclusively, excuse me, exclusively use their airline, um, and I'll, I'll use, and that's kind of a play on the name of my company, Beyond the Brush, is because I, <laughs> I use airbrush paints right out of the bottle when I'm paint brushing as well. It's fantastic to use. It's simple that way. You don't have to buy doubles of everything, right? Exactly. Just because you're like, painting one in there, right? A lot of times those paints it's just are slightly good more enough. thinned down paint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I, I reached out to several months ago. I reached out to Vallejo uh, with an idea, and it, essentially it was. Uh, a beyond the brush line of paints and or a system of paints and uh, it's based on colors so instead of going and buying a a, a type of system that is uh, you focused on an army and how you paint an army or uh, maybe it's a technical set or whatever it might be this is literally you're buying how to paint royal blue and there will be a base shade a medium shade a highlight and there'll also be a, a corresponding wash that you can use that we would recommend, although okay. you could use other ones. So it's like it's like you're answering the question that you got asked. You're saying, how do you paint these? You're saying, well, this is exactly the steps I use and exactly the colors and the order I use them in. Exactly. That's and fascinating. It, and it's, it's, 
the idea that I have is that I'll be able to put together a tutorial video exactly how I use it through the airbrush uh-huh. um, and when I'm painting you know, directly with a paintbrush on the model when I'm brush painting the model and also use some counter techniques like we're actually talking about on this show. I was sure. actually really happy that you brought appreciating because uh, that's something that I don't think a lot of companies are talking about right now with their, their paint lines. And if a company can get ahead of the, the curve and, and showcase this technique that is really, I mean, it can be game-changing for many painters. I'd like to be a part of that. And if yeah. I can help other painters paint really well, I don't want to put any commission painters out of business by any means. Um, well, I mean, I'm, and I'm not one of those guys like, I mean, of course there are certain things that, you know, some techniques maybe you hold on to, but I, I'm a big fan of the <laughs> idea of like, of share the knowledge. Um, yeah. Anytime someone has something new that they can glean from something that I've learned, I like to share it and vice versa. Like I, I hope they do the same. So um, like, you know, Kenny, Kenny Boucher is a really good example of this. Like he's always talking about secret Chinese, like yes. techniques yes. or whatever, Chinese but, but yeah. he's very like, uh, he's very sharing with his you know he he, he get, puts it all out there like he doesn't hide it or hold it back he says this is this is how i do this and and i frankly would not have a business if people hadn't been sharing that information 10 years ago <laughs> like i was an idiot like i didn't know what i was doing so i learned from watching others and now i think the natural reciprocity is to give back like um and yeah you're gonna make a little profit on it but you're sharing that knowledge like you are giving it out there um, okay if it, I, I'm not going to be able to, to buy a house with the money I'm going to make. Exactly, yeah. But it, it's you know, paint doesn't sell for that much. Right. But it's it's a way for me to say and 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 be a part of the the conversation of making. Uh, you know, I hate this term like make hobby great again or bring hobby back. You know, I, I yeah. love that people are doing that. But sure. I don't know I, if I, I agree sh- with that term either because I don't think it was ever gone. Like, but yeah. I, I get the point. Like, I know that's like a forge the narrative like slogan or something. Uh, I think that was something that the guys, the the, the, the uh, former Forge narrative guys, came up with. I mean, no, it's it's their thing. I get it. Sure. If, I mean, if, if it gets more people painting and playing games, absolutely. I'm that I agree it. with. Like, I think yeah. that anything that encourages people to paint is good. Um, but it's kind of like make America great again. When was it ever not great? Yeah, I don't. You know, and I, we could get into a whole show about Trump. But I think we're not going to really go down that road. Um, but just so, just to summarize, like people who have yeah. admired your work and your paint, they will in theory be able to buy uh, beyond the brush, like sort of paint recipes, like kind of like pre-boxed and ready to go, and they'll be able to learn from from not only directly from you from videos, but by buying the product specifically. Absolutely, and I think it's it, we're still very early on in, in the discussion. There's a sure. lot of ways that we think that this might go. Yeah, uh, so we Alex, won't be able to buy it on market today, but um, but when it does come out, we'll be able to have that discussion. Hopefully, within the year. I mean, That's you'll awesome. be able to get it at hobby stores. You'll be able to get it online. You'll be able to get it from. We will have a Beyond the Brush store where you can get it from me. Um, and you know, I would like to get you guys some paints to to try and let me know what you think. Um, yeah, you know, we'd we're love not, to. Awesome. We're not re- we're not reinventing the uh, the wheel with Vallejo. They already make fantastic paints, but it's just a way to put their because they make so many paints, guys. Yeah, they do. Make, <laughs> they, have a, they have a they, big range. Every time I go to the store, I see their racks. I'm like, ah, uh, where do I even start? Oh, and I, and I think you know what? And I think there's a lot of people that could benefit from using their paints, and that's sure. that's my essentially my pitch to Alex. There's a lot of people that that could use your paints, and I know that they would love them, that's but amazing. they're they're just intimidated, mm-hmm. like they don't know where to start. So let's let's give them a, a an easy way to understand how to use your paints, and and that's what this will be Very at cool. the end of the day. 
Well, um, Adam, you've had so much, such a wealth of information today. We really appreciate you being on the show today and sharing all these things with us. Um, you can learn I more about that, but you guys. I mean, you guys <laughs> educated me. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. Well, we, we try, we do our best. Um, so, um, Adam, where can they find out more about you and your work? Uh, you know, obviously the Facebooks, the Instagrams, uh, sure. Beyond the Brush Studios, okay, uh, and BeyondTheBrushStudios.com. dot com. Sure, uh, those are all great, great places to reach me. You can reach me at BeyondTheBrushStudios at gmail dot com. I'm friendly. I don't bite. And uh, and are you currently accepting commissions, or are you all queued up for now? Absolutely. I've I, I I'm I've got some things in the queue, but I've got some stuff, some openings coming. Hopefully after the holidays, I got a. I'm going to be doing some paintings for Anvil Industries and hopefully for some for Mindworm Games as well. We talked to Anvil uh, Industries a while ago. That's really cool. They're great guys, Charlie and those guys. So we guys, lost out the business them. to you, I see. <laughs> What's a, that? A, when, when we had him on the show, we were talking to him, and we were like, yeah, send us some minis. We'll do some sample products for you. Uh, oh, but, sure but, they, no, it's fine. I, I'm, if we're going to lose to somebody, I'm glad we lost to you. So it's okay. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's here's the thing. Those guys are all bike riders, too. So we uh-huh. have some fun now. So all I have to do is learn to bike ride, lose a bunch of weight, and shave my legs. Like, there you go. Yeah. I mean, you can just shave your legs right now when you're a bike rider. Yeah. You don't even need to have a bike. Uh, I mean, I'm a pretty big guy. So, um, All right. Well, Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. We will definitely have you back on the show and see where Beyond the Brush is in like half a year or so. That sounds fantastic. Thank you guys so much. Sure, of course. Well, guys, just hold on one second, and we'll be right back after this brief message. If you're interested in advertising on War Council, let us know. We can be reached at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Rates are extremely competitive, but there are limited slots available, so please contact us soon. Hey guys, we're going to jump into uh, One Minute Rant or Gush tonight. And uh, tonight I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rant a little bit. Um, I don't want to harp too much because obviously this time of year is the holidays, we want to be positive. But uh, one of the things that I've learned over time is that as, my, as our business has grown, as White Metal Games has grown, um, we tend to find ourselves in like, I like to call it the office pool because we don't obviously work with other studios, but we do find ourselves treading in similar circles. Like, for example, if I uh, go to a con, I run into people that I've seen before. And if I go to another convention, I might see them again. So in, in a lot of ways, I consider these my coworkers and my peers. And, it's networking. Um, it's networking, yeah, exactly. So our, our business is such that, like, we don't work, you know, in cubicles next door to them. But they are people that are industry professionals that we share common interests with and common goals with. And one of the things that I've always pushed from the beginning is partnering up. Like, I, I recognize the fact that we can't do everything. Right. There is advantage to partnering with services and businesses that do things we don't do. For example, we were uh, uh, looking at, you know, um, if someone creates a good paint, like Adam was talking earlier, like, maybe they have a great range of paints. Maybe they can give that to us at a discount so we can provide, a, you know, better paints, higher quality paints to our clients at a price that's affordable. And so we pass everything down the line mm-hmm. um, in the same way that, like, if someone was, uh, I don't know, if they made a really cool terrain product, we can paint that up and showcase it, and everybody benefits from it. So that's what I'm getting at here is that I want to partner up with businesses that have something unique to offer. Uh, and I find, and this is crazy, but the more I'm in this, the longer I'm in it, I find that a lot of these businesses kind of hoard their success. They get a taste of success, and they hold on to it jealously and sort of guard it because building your business, frankly, is hard. It's really hard. And so you don't want to really sort of share those rewards or, or benefits with other people because in the back of your mind you feel like they haven't earned it. Right. 
But the thing is, is that every good business, like if I think about like in any industry, like steel, we'll use steel as an example here, just because I think you mentioned steel maybe off the air or something like that. You know, it's one thing to build the steel, but then you have to sell the steel. Where do you get it from and how do you market it? And what people are going to buy it from you, et cetera, et cetera. You have to work with others. You're not an island. So that's what I want to do. I want to partner up with other businesses that have something that we can benefit from and that they can benefit from something from us. And we make this offer and this extension to people all the time, and people rarely take advantage of it. So I just want to put that out there again. I, would, I wish businesses would, would stop hoarding their success and would start sharing their success because we're all kind of in this together, uh, in, in my opinion. Small business is such a niche business that – uh, I feel like we can only help each other, not hurt each other. And this isn't to point fingers at anyone in particular or anything like that, because this has happened to me many times over the years, is that I see businesses struggling and I'll say, like, here, let me help you with that. Let me market your product for you. Like, uh, let me allow me to buy your product in bulk and I'll resell it. And your business will benefit, my business will benefit, everybody will benefit. Um, you know, like, for example, if we did our, all of our models on resin bases, well, we got to buy those bases from somebody. Those bases are going to be a benefit to that company too right so anyway that's just that's kind of what i'm getting at here is that we're not an island we want people to help us and we want to help people so if that's something you're interested in if you have a unique product or business that you want to jive with us on contest contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com let us know at the very least we can talk about your product on the show and hopefully we can showcase it on our youtube channel Mm -hmm. Uh, or even on miniatures and things that we're building absolutely Um, so, you know, I, I would love to do that. Like, um, Secret Weapon Miniatures has helped us out, a, you know, recently. They've, they've, they've offered us some, some discounts on product. So hopefully we can put more of their bases on more minis. Mm-hmm. Everyone wins there. So yeah. that's my whole point. Um, so not really a rant, more of an explanation. Sorry. Do you have anything you want to rant or explain on? Um, no. Uh, for the most part, I mean, I guess the only thing that I was pretty excited about are the new uh, Thousand Sun models we talked about magnets sure but the actual models themselves that we released their marines it, it gives new hope for uh you know new rules for all the chaos stuff and it's, it's very exciting to see what they're actually going to be doing i know that. that the meta is that people hate the new chaos the chaos codex but to remember codexes go through phases when the chaos codex came out it was very popular and like the Helldrake was obviously a huge hit yeah. the you know the fortune the mauler fiends were popular at least in aesthetic terms uh but like anything, they measure against every codex, and there's always a newer, better codex. Mm-hmm. So now the rules seem obsolete. But well, it's been a while, so the yeah. codex, chaos haven't gotten an actual codex in years. Yeah, it's that's been a, a while. That's the biggest issue, I think. It's just not up to times. But this gives new hope for that. But doesn't that go to say, like, there's a lot of codexes that can say that? I mean, uh, but not as a prominent. Like, that's probably a pretty big army. It is. It's definitely one of their flagship armies. Yeah. So... Uh, well, have you got a chance to look over the Thousand Suns rules yet? I have. I've uh, read, read through some of them. It looks like they have a potential to be competitive. I didn't see the it's point cost per model, actually. I don't remember the rubric. It's expensive. How much? Rubric and Marines, I think, are base 22 points. That's what they were. They're eight, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they've always been expensive models, but they've found ways. Um, just so they like didn't the, get cheaper. They just got better. They got better. Battle like They have their own almost like a demi-company type thing. Like yeah. If you bring in certain units, they get certain things for free. One um, of the things I saw was that if they benefit from a blessing, which they have a lot of psychics, is that they get a slightly better invulnerable. Mm, so that yeah. turns the problem of the 3 plus 4 plus, or was it a 3 plus 3 plus? I don't know. Now it becomes like a real rollable. It got better. Yeah. 
Like they have it. more staying power. Yeah. They're expensive as hell, so they're they kind of remind me of like gray knights in yeah. that manner. Like they're a very expensive marine army. Marines are already expensive, and that's a pretty good comparison because of their amount of psychics that's involved mm-hmm. in them. They kind of are a counterpart to the gray knights. Like gray yeah, knights are essentially psychic space marines, and mm-hmm. thousand suns are essentially psychic chaos space marines. Yeah, so very cool. It's exciting to see. So I'll be. I'll be happy to see them on the tabletop soon. I'm sure someone's going to have them done. Yeah, I would love for someone to commission some. If someone would like to commission them, maybe in December, maybe for 10% off, uh, email us at info at whitemetalgames.com. We'd love to talk to you about it. All right, well, we're going to take a uh, quick last break, and then we'll jump in with our outro, and we'll be right back after this. Let's be honest. You'd rather be playing than painting. Let White Metal Games take the hassle out of painting and assembling your miniatures. We have a team of dedicated professionals who will make sure your miniatures stand out on the tabletop. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. White Metal Games. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, that is it for the week. We are out of here. Uh, we will have one more, uh, well, technically we'll have two more podcasts this year. The Business Mentoring, episode 39, will come back. Uh, and we will have a Christmas special coming up in a couple weeks. And that will primarily be a look back at 2016. But we'll also tackle a few uh, Christmas uh, issues, like maybe some ideas for gift-giving, ways to set up your hobby desk. Uh, and uh, I'd also like to talk about um, Frost, because Frost and Flock and Snow are one of the hardest effects yeah, that yes. people struggle with. <laughs> And um, we learned a lot on the Krieg board, I think. Uh, yeah. And I think that there's some tips we can give. Um, lots of other people have, have struggled with frost and snow over the years. So we'll give you our two cents and, and sort of sh- tell you where we chime in on that. So uh, for now, uh, that's it. And if you are interested in being a podcast guest, as always, email us at uh, info at whitemetalgames.com or through the War Council page at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Uh, well, that's it for now. Uh, yep. My name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. I'm Phil Corman with White Metal Games. Till next time, put your minis where your mouth is. See you guys.